0: Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. John says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the section we're going to spend our time in tonight. Uh, If you remember, last time we were together last week, we took a break and looked at the two witnesses and what their ministry was during the first half of the tribulation period. But we're now back at the midpoint of the tribulation period where we've already been introduced to the Antichrist in the beginning of chapter 13, which was the beast that had the... Ten horns and the seven heads and how this is the one world ruler that's over the one last one world kingdom that's going to be over the whole earth until Jesus comes back. And uh, we also know that this Antichrist, this first beast, because we need to see here in chapter 13, verse 11, John says, and now I see another beast. But this first beast that we've already been introduced to, the Antichrist, is empowered by who? Satan and we're not gonna take the time to turn there but if you go back and look at Revelation 13:1 through 5 that this beast was empowered by Satan himself and Satan gave his authority to him and he exercises the authority of Satan but tonight we're gonna to be introduced to a second beast another beast one that rises out of the earth look closely at the description of this other beast that we're being introduced to tonight it has two horns like a lamb but don't be fooled it speaks like what it speaks like a dragon what we're going to do tonight is take a little time to, to deal with the fact that Jesus warned us to watch out for people like this. You're going to see tonight as we're introduced to this second beast that this is actually the false prophet that the Bible talks about. And I'll show you where the Bible describes this person as the false prophet uh, in, in just a little bit. But Jesus also warned us that not only will there be a false prophet that is going to appear on the scene at the time that the Antichrist is revealed for who he really is. But there are, have been many false prophets, and there will be until the end. And so we're going to take some time tonight to just do a little bit of a study to deal with how to watch out for them and what they are and what they look like. And let me just give you a little heads up. These are the kind of people that act one way, but if you watch them closely, they really aren't all that they pretend to be. And the best way I can explain it to you is go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Go to Matthew chapter 7. And look at verses 15 through 20. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Then he goes on and says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits." Look closely at what he says. He says, Beware of false prophets. They have the appearance of sheep, but inwardly they're what? They're ravenous wolves. Now, keep in mind, when Jesus is talking about false prophets and watching out for false prophet, he's talking about watch out for those who are within the church, within religious settings, who appear to be one of us, but they're not. And how are we going to, so far from what Jesus has shown us here, how are we going to be able to tell whether or not they really are? By their fruit. What does that mean by their fruit, though? Is it by what they say? By their actions. Uh, actually, put a bookmark here in Matthew 7 because we're going to come back to it. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we all know verses 22 and following, but I want you to take a look at it anyway. It says, The fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, and you see in your Bible, the, it's a capital S, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit, is love and joy and peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. But look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are also evident. Look at the description there. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying that if you've ever done any of those, you won't inherit the kingdom, but he's saying if that's the way you live, if that's your lifestyle, you're not saved. Now, what I want to deal with real quickly, though, just just a little aside, I've told people over the years since I've gone into this traveling ministry, my intention is never to be a pastor of a church again. I love my traveling ministry, I love what God's called me to. But if God were to ever have me pastor again, I would make an agreement ahead of time with the church and we would rewrite the paperwork and the Constitution and the bylaws to line up with the fact that it would be a church where we would deal with this list in love but firmly. You see, we see in this list here of the acts of the flesh orgies and sexual immorality and fornication. And usually, if someone in a church is committing adultery or caught in this type of sin, leadership will go in love and and confront them, would they not? Yet we allow the dissension, the jealousy, the fits of rage, the gossip, the backbiting. We don't even go deal with that. We just assume that's just how it is. If I ever were a pastor of a church again, it would be set out in the paperwork ahead of time and let everybody know we're taking the Word of God seriously, and this won't be a place where that even will be tolerated. And just like we would confront you if you were cheating on your spouse, if that happens in this body, we will confront you and we'll tell you to stop. And if you choose not to, you can go find some other place where you can go ahead and gossip all you want and backbite. And, and, and The Bible says, watch out for those in our churches who look like one of us, but really aren't. And especially those in leadership. What did Paul say when he met with the Ephesian elders? And we're not gonna have the time to turn there. He said, look, um, I'm probably not gonna ever see you guys again when he met with them in Miletus. He said, but I'm gonna warn you, after I leave, savage wolves are gonna come up within the flock to lead people away after themselves. Folks, we can sit here tonight and spend all our time looking at the fact that there's going to be a false prophet who is going to be a religious leader who's going to lead everybody in the world to take this mark and worship the Antichrist and miss out on the fact that in the days that we have, we have to watch out for the fact that even in our day today, the Bible said there will be many false prophets and we have to be alert for that and watching out for them. And we have, to, if you even do even further study, you'll find that the scripture says that actually in the last days, There'll be doctrines taught by demons. So let me ask you a question. If the Bible says that there's going to be false prophets in many of them, and they're going to be among us, looking like sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves, and that there's going to be de- demons actually teaching through our preachers and teachers doctrines that are actually from demons, not from Jesus, how are we going to know? You've got to know the Word of God. And you can't know a verse here and a verse there. You've got to know the Word of God to be able to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Go with me to the book of Jude real quick. We're going to look at verses 3 and following. Jude starting in verse 3. And I'm proud of you. Every single person passed the test. Nobody said, what chapter? I love to say, let's turn to Jude and start in this verse, because typically someone will say, what chapter? And I have to say, you've never read Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. Look at what, look at what Jude says in chapter uh, one. <laughs> look at verse, th- verse three. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and lord Jesus Christ we're going to keep going but These individuals were creeping into the church and saying, because of your freedom in Christ, because you have been set free of your sins, because Jesus has already covered all your sins, past, present, and future, you can do whatever you want in your body. It doesn't make a difference. And you're free to sin sexually. You're free to sin whichever way you want. And by the way, you would say, people actually teach that. There are people still teaching that to this day. Watch out for them. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, That Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who didn't stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain." and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion these are hidden reefs at your love feasts and as they feast with you and they feast with you without fear shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds fruitless trees and laid on them twice dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever Yet it was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents. Well, we're seeing it again, aren't we? Grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy without, with, with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. John had intended to write to them about this awesome salvation that we've received. But the Spirit of God led him to warn them to watch out for these people that are going to be among us who claim to be Christians, who claim to be preachers, who claim to be teachers of God, who are going to lead you away from the truth of the scriptures. Is there a day that a false prophet is going to arise on the scene and lead many astray? Praise God, we won't be here when that happens, but that's going to happen. But don't sit here and think that you're not susceptible to those kinds of things as well. So you need to be diligent to know the word of god to be able to recognize truth from error oh by the way how do we know the difference between truth and error go to first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 we're going to start in verse 18 John says here, the same one that God used to write the book of Revelation. John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Now we stop again and deal with this last hour thing. We've already touched on it earlier in our study. Let me remind you, when John wrote this, this is almost 2,000 years ago. How could he say this is the last hour and we're still 2,000 years later and nothing's changed in a sense? Because... We're in that last time period before the day of the Lord which begins with the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ and all that's going to follow. This church age is the last hour before God finishes everything that he said he would do with the nation of Israel and all those different things that he'd prophesied in the Old Testament. We are in that time period where he had came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. The Jews rejected the Messiah. Jesus is now saving the Gentiles just by his grace and giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He's moving us to follow his decrees all the the things he said he's going to do one day when he regathers Israel and puts them back in the land and sets up his kingdom. We have been given this time period of grace in which he's saving us to make Israel jealous. Yet it is coming to an end. And if it was the last hour of the last time period 2000 years ago, we got to be pretty close, don't we? But he then goes on and says, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that antichrist is coming, there is an antichrist coming. So now many antichrists have come, therefore we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are all not of us, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. By the way, the scripture tells us how to recognize who a false teacher is. It's right in here. He who denies that Jesus is the what? The Christ. Now, don't miss this. The word Christ is actually the Greek word for the word, the Hebrew word, Messiah. Anyone that denies that Jesus is the promised one, but don't think that you got it understood fully just yet. Stick with me. Because you'll have lots of people that will come knocking on your door two by two, and they will tell you that Jesus is the Son of God. That doesn't mean that they believe that he's the Christ. According to the scriptures, because if you remember, the Old Testament told us in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, that this one coming is going to be called wonderful counselor. What's the next part? Almighty God, God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the Messiah is going to be not just a man. The Messiah is going to be God himself. Jehovah's Witness do not believe that Jesus is God. They claim to be Christian. They claim to be your brothers and sisters. They claim to believe that Jesus is the son of God, but they do not believe that he is God himself who took on flesh. They believe is an emanation from God, but he's, that there's only one God and Jesus is not him. The Mormons claim to be Christian, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers, but they do not believe that Jesus is God I don't have the time because of what all we need to cover tonight, but let me just burn it into your brain and hopefully the spirit of God will let it sink in. Anyone who denies that Jesus is God himself, they can claim to be a Christian all they want. They're false prophets and you need to avoid them. And I'm even going to encourage you unless the spirit of God tells you differently, because I could show you passages that says don't do it. Don't even invite them into your home to talk about these things. The Bible warns us about even doing that in the book of 1 John, chapter 3. So folks, I just want to tell you, yes, there's a false prophet coming. And he's going to come on the scene, and he's going to be a religious leader that's going to be able to do amazing miracles and cause everybody to worship the Antichrist. And everybody, you're going to see it, rich and free, rich and slave. I can't even get it out of my mouth here. Rich and poor, free or slave, they're all going to worship. They're going to be fooled. But as much as we in the church won't be here at this time, we are still living in a day in which there are going to be lots of false prophets, and we need to know the truth. A lot of times people would just say, Jim, just tell me who they are. Just give me the names. No, Jesus doesn't want you following Jim's rules or Jim's list. Do you ever actually noticed in the scripture, as much as the scriptures warn us to watch out for these false prophets, they don't name names. The only names I can find are, watch out for Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul says that. But otherwise, they really don't name any names. Trust me, I got some. There are some people that I would, if I was at your house and their books are on your, book, your your coffee table, I'd inside go, ooh, I wish they weren't reading this person. This person doesn't even believe in the Bible. There's lots of famous preachers out there today who are drawing big crowds. But if they don't believe the word, the whole book, you got to be careful. But it's not my job to tell you who to follow and who not. My, my job is to show you the Word of God and let the Spirit of God within you teach you how to listen to Him and to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go back with me to Matthew chapter 7 because I want to deal with something. In the verses that follow that section to watch, that says, Watch out for these in sheep clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Because I think from the context in Matthew 7 and in some other passages that I'm going to show you real quick, We can also clarify, I think, a misconception that has happened over the years about the verses that follow. In Matthew chapter 7, listen to verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, many of us have heard this passage used before and how there's going to be those who say, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Let me take some time to clarify this passage a little bit, because I think I myself years ago used to teach it a wrong way. And I think there's a lot of people that are using it in a way that is incorrect because they teach it like people are going to stand before God and they're going to be surprised. Thinking they were in, but finding out at that moment that they were rejected. Have you ever heard it taught that way? Wait a minute, Lord, didn't we? Wait a minute, Lord, I thought I was in. Lord, didn't I? I don't think the Bible teaches that that's possible. First of all, in the context ahead of time, he said, watch out for these false prophets. Outwardly, they look like sheep, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They know what they are. And you'll be able to tell who they are by their fruit. And I think that in this context here and in passages I'm going to use to show you, I think these people that are saying, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? They're not surprised that they're lost. They're just trying to justify themselves. Here's why I know this. Because if you use the rest of Scripture to build your doctrine, again, don't just know a verse here or a verse there. Let the Spirit of God teach you the Word of God. You'll find that the Bible is very, very clear that everyone who dies knows their condition when they do. What does it say in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following? Don't turn there. The Bible says that God has revealed Himself to everyone. The whole world is without excuse. His divine nature, His eternal qualities have been clearly seen to what has been made. Correct? That doesn't mean that they understand about Jesus yet, but don't worry. First and foremost, the foundation has been laid that God's revealed Himself to all creation through creation that they know He exists. I'm going to say something to you that some people may disagree with, but I think it's scripturally true. There's no such thing as an atheist. They're just cowards. The Bible says everyone knows there's a God. And so if someone says they don't believe there's a God, they're just ignoring the truth. They're not. Remember when your kids were little and they thought this is how you played hide and seek? <laughs> and they thought when they did this, you couldn't see them? Yeah. That's kind of how the atheists are today, according to the scriptures. They know there's a God. They can fight it all they want, argue with you all they want. Deep down, they know. How do we know this? Because the Bible says they do. But let me show you something else. Go to uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verses 7 and 8. Jesus is saying to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, do not go away the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Did you catch that? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world when it comes to sin and righteousness and judgment. By the way, is the Holy Spirit any good at what he does? The Bible says he's going to convict the world of their sin. They will hear from the Spirit of God where they stand. They'll know. Now, again, they may try to ignore it. They might go, la, 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 la. But at the same time, they will know where they stand. Go to John chapter 3. Just back up a few chapters to John chapter 3. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you see this Bible says, look, a lot of people today, if you were to talk to them about when they die, are they going to go to heaven? A lot of them would say, when I stand before God, he's going to weigh my good and my bad. You can show them the scripture and say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 hang on for a second. You think that at that time you're going to stand before the great judge and he's going to give the verdict at that moment. The Bible says the verdict has already been decided. Here's the judgment. Lights come into the world. If you reject it, it's because you loved your evil deeds more than the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. The one who believes is not condemned. The ones who do not believe are condemned already because you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't think for a second that that's when God's going to decide. The Bible says he's already decided. You believe in my son and receive my gift of salvation through him. You're in. You reject that. You're out. Plain and simple. So let me ask you a question. These ones in Matthew 7 who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? Are they all of a sudden going, wait a minute, we thought we were in, but now we're finding out we're not? No, they're not surprised. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. They knew who they were. They just chose to reject it. Oh, they preached. Did you catch that? They even... Cast out demons. They were among us, looked like us, and many of us didn't even know they weren't. But Jesus knew all along, and listen, and the Bible says, so did they. Yes, sir. Trying to just emulate God, they were trying to deceive people who otherwise would have actually believed. I, I would agree. I would agree. Yes. Know, so I practices of right. It's actually pulling them away. Their whole, that's why Jesus actually warned about the teaching of the Pharisees. He said, guys, they're blind leaders of the blind. And if a blind person leads a blind person, you're both gonna fall in the ditch, he said. That's what he said. Go ahead, Jim. I was just gonna say I always think of it as uh, did we not do these things based on works. That's exactly what it was. Totally ignoring the completed work of Christ. I mean they're saying I arrived. And let me just tell you, in my role that God's given me in the last so many years of traveling around and speaking to Christians and going to churches and trying to get them back to the Bible and the Word of God and following His Spirit, you would be amazed how many of the older generation that I have asked the question, if you were to stand before God today, we're, and He'd say, why should I let you into heaven? Or, uh, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Their answer is all the things they've done. How they've served the Lord all these years. I've been a church member for so many years. It's nothing about because of Jesus and by His grace I'm in. It's all their works. Yes, sir? If we go to a, a church, or a French church, and the Spirit tells them, well, this is the stuff that I would... Best, just walk out. In each situation, you have to be careful. There's no formula, because that's one thing I've been praying about. Is, is, is Jesus did Jesus know that there was bad theology going on? Did he go and correct everybody's theology? No. You have to. In certain instances, sometimes you're to just keep your mouth quiet because God's going to use somebody else at a later time. There'll be other times that maybe you're to speak up. Other times you're just. Well, you have to be careful and let the Spirit of God show you. Don't make a formula of how you're to handle when that happens. Because you know what. Even Jim Johnson's going to say things that aren't biblically true sometimes. And thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. I'm not intentionally trying to do it, but even I make errors. Half the stuff I teach nowadays is almost the exact opposite of what I used to teach. But the more I grew in my walk of the Lord and my understanding of his word, I'm like, well, I was wrong. A lot of it was just ignorance because I was young and zealous. I remember when I was a young preacher and I first started preaching, I remember I preached a sermon. This about 30 years ago. I preached a sermon, and this was my whole point. If you have the same spirit that I have, we should always agree. That was my sermon. And I tried hammering it from every angle until I read the Bible. Then I realized the Bible says even those of us who have the same spirit aren't going to always see things the same way. One's going to see one day more sacred than another. Another one's going to see every day alike. Someone's going to think eating meat's the only way to go. And others are going to think eating vegetables is the only way. Each to be fully convinced in their own mind and walking with the Lord. And we're not to judge each other on these types of things. The Bible actually shows that we're going to have disagreements. Doesn't mean we don't have the same spirit. Well, let me, before we get back to our study in Revelation, deal with one more last thing. The Bible says that there's going to be people within our group, within our numbers, who claim to be Christian who really aren't. First and foremost, is it our job to try to figure out who's saved and who's not? We're to watch out for these people and we're to examine their fruit. But it's not our job to decide, oh, I'm not liking your fruit. You're not really saved. That's the Lord's job, and that is not our job. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares. Hey, when did you sow bad seed in your field? Well, oh, the enemy has done this. Do you want us to separate the weed from the wheat? God says, don't. You'll do damage to the crop in the process. Wait until the end. God's going to separate it at the end. We're to be alert to it, but don't you dare think for a second it's your job to figure out who's saved and who's not. Along that same line, watch out for preachers who make their living, making everybody question their salvation. Let me ask how many people here are willing and able to say, by raising your hand tonight, I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus Christ and him giving me salvation? All right, put your hands down. For those of you that raised your hand, how many of you have had Satan make you question whether or not you're saved at some point in your life? All of us, right? And probably more than once. There is a big difference between wondering if you're saved... And knowing you're lost. There are too many preachers out there that spend all their time just going to everybody question their salvation. I'm not wanting you to do that either. I'm just simply saying, God is so awesome. He will show you your condition. And if he's shown you you're lost, please don't leave here without getting that taken care of. And trust that that same God that helped you understand your need of him will help those who aren't of him either to be dealt with one day or to come to their understanding. Alright, now, go to Revelation chapter 16. We've already seen that there's going to be false prophets and we're to watch their fruit. In Revelation chapter 16, actually I'm going to show you in chapter 16, chapter 19, and chapter 20, there are three, three times that this second beast that we've just been introduced to is described as the false prophet. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. We'll get to that later on in our study, not tonight, when we get to this section and we deal with what's going on. But we see that there's the dragon, Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which is the second beast we've just been introduced to. Go to chapter 19, look at verse 20. And the beast was captured with... And with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burned with sulfur. Go to chapter 20 and verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see clearly that the second beast that we're being introduced to now in the second half of chapter 13 of Revelation is the false prophet. This is a religious leader who is going to come on the scene and cause the world to worship the beast, the Antichrist, this individual who's head of this one last world kingdom before Jesus comes and sets up his. And he's going to be a religious leader that tells everybody that we are to worship him because he is God. Even though he's not, you're going to see in a second that he actually is going to pretend to be like Jesus, going to pretend to be Jesus himself. That's why he's called the Antichrist. There have been many false prophets. There's going to be a false prophet. There have been many antichrists. There's going to be an antichrist. Now, some of you might not have seen this yet. Some of you might have already seen it. But Satan is building his own copy of God's holy trinity. Has anybody seen it already? He's, you're going to see this tonight as we wrap all up. Satan doesn't have anything new. He wants to be God so bad, all he does is copy everything God does. And just like God the Father empowers the Son, go with me to John chapter 14, verse 10. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. As you're turning to John chapter 14, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 19, He said, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He only does what the Father does. Yet in John chapter 14, verse 10, look at also what Jesus says. He said, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Did you catch that? The Father, remember, there is only one God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, but he's manifested himself in three persons. He's always existed in three persons. He didn't become three persons when he made Jesus come to the earth and be born of Mary. Because back in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let us make man in our image. There's always been one God, but he's manifested himself at all times in three persons. But the Father, while Jesus was on the earth in human form, the Father empowered Jesus. Jesus only did what the Father had him to do. Listen closely. And he only did it by the power of the Father himself. Folks, a big, that's something we got to learn as Christians. It's one thing to do what God wants us to do and then try to do it in our own strength. It's another thing to do what only God has for us to do and have him do it through us. Write this down later and look at it later on. First, first Peter, chapter four, verses 10 and 11. Peter says, whenever you speak, let it be the oracles of the words of God. Whenever you serve with the strength that God provides so that God will be glorified in everything. Christians need to understand what the role is God has for them. And don't let anybody else tell you what that ought to be. God's got a specific plan for each of us. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, Paul says, don't let us think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but each of us with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that we've been given. If your role is this, just do that. If your role is this, just do that. Did you catch that? We've not been all given the same amount of responsibility. It's a wonderful thing. In the same way, once you find out what it is that God has for you to do, learn how to do it. In his strength, not in your own. Trusting him. That's something I've had to learn over the years as God had called me and gifted me to preach. But when I first started and I was younger, I preached in my own strength most of the time. Boy, I would study and pray and cram. And then I would be so panicked and nervous ahead of time. And then I'd get in the pulpit and do the best I could. And then spend the rest of the day examining how I did. My poor wife heard this question for too many years. The first part of our marriage. Hey, Becky, how was it? Becky, was it wasn't wasn't too bad? I hope. Boy, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. You know what? Now, I still study and prepare, but when it's time, God's gonna do it. That's why I've learned to thank Him ahead of time for what He's gonna do. Over the years, people have come up to me and said, "Jim, we're looking forward to hearing you tonight." My answer is always the same. Me too. Because I know what direction he's told me to go, but how we get there, he's going to let me see it as we go. Actually, tonight, he has totally flipped the order of my notes compared to last night. Last night, we went to, if you're going to listen to last night's recording, everything's all jumbled compared, or tonight's all jumbled compared to then. But tonight, God took me in a different direction. We're covering the same stuff, but in a different way. And so I want you to see that the Father empowered the Son. And what was the Holy Spirit's role? What is the Holy Spirit's role? To bring glory to the Son. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit came after Jesus was glorified. You'll see that later on if you look in John 16. It says the Holy Spirit hadn't come because the Father wasn't yet glorified. Or, sorry, the Son wasn't yet glorified. The Father empowers the Son. The Holy Spirit brings glory to the Son. The Antichrist is empowered by who? The dragon and the false prophet representing the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to the Antichrist. He's made an unholy trinity here. And that's why we see that the dragon and the Antichrist and the false prophet are ultimately all gonna end up in the lake of fire. Now, let me also show you something else. We don't know what the Antichrist mortal wound Is or will be, but it's mentioned many times, too many times to ignore. Let me show you real quick. Go back to Revelation 13, look at verse 3. It says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound seemed sorry, mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. By the way, is a mortal wound one that kills you or just wounds you? It's one that kills you. This mortal wound means this individual is going to die. But then he's going to come back to life. By the way, does that sound familiar? Who is the Antichrist trying to copy? Jesus, who was killed and then rose from the dead. Go to verse 12, Revelation 13. Look at verse 12. It, the false prophet or the second beast, exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and he makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, this again the false prophet, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. We get a little bit more of a picture here now. This person is going to be killed, put to death, by a sword, warfare, whatever you want to call it, somehow, some way, this Antichrist is going to be killed and gonna come back to life, and everybody's gonna go, Ooh, that's Jesus. It's not Jesus. That's why Jesus Himself in Matthew 24 said, Whenever someone says, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. Because when he himself really comes back, it's gonna happen all at once, and the whole earth is gonna see it at the same time, and there'll be no question as to whether or not this is Jesus. But at this time, this individual is going to be killed, is going to come back to life, and everybody's going to go, this is the Christ. And everybody in the world that's alive at that time is going to be sucked into that mess, and they're going to think that this is possibly Jesus. Jesus said, don't believe it whenever you hear this, even if they do miraculous signs. Go to Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 8 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 17, and we're not going to spend too much time here because we'll come back to this later in our study. Not tonight again, but when we get to chapter 17, it says, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. In other words, it lived and it died and came back to life and everybody was impressed same thing is described in verse 11. So how is this individual going to be killed? Does the Bible say? We only see from the sword. What does that mean fully? We don't know, but he's going to be killed. We don't know anything else about it. When is this going to happen? Does the Bible say when this individual is going to be killed? Just prior to when he reveals himself as the Antichrist and the false prophet has everybody worship him because he has already at that time been killed and come back to life. This might happen, and I'm speculating here. And again, whenever I speculate, I'm going to tell you why I'm speculating. And it could be from the time when, remember, we've already seen him introduced in the first seal when he comes out on the white horse pretending to be Jesus. And he comes onto the scene and he gains power over the world and this one world power that's going to be on the earth. And he's going to come up from among the leaders of that one world power. And he's going to, through guile and flattery, become the head of it all. Maybe it's between then and when we get to the midpoint and he steps into the temple that he'll be killed and be brought to back to life to even make everybody impressed. We don't know. It could have happened prior to that. The Bible doesn't say. Just know this ahead of time. This individual is going to be killed. He's going to come back to life, and everybody's going to be very, very impressed because they're going to think he's Jesus. The false prophet's also going to make the people of the earth make an idol or an image of for the beast. And the false prophet will give life to the image and it will speak and it will cause all to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Keep that in mind because we're going somewhere tonight in the time we have left that I can't wait to show you. It's kind of cool. But the the false prophet's going to make the world make an image, an idol for the beast, this individual, the Antichrist, the one who was killed and came back to life and everybody thinks is Jesus and he's not. And the false prophet is going to give life to this image, it's going to come to life. And it's not only going to move around, it's going to talk, and it's going to cause everybody to receive a mark where, according to the scripture? On their right hand or their forehead. Keep that in mind. Without the mark, according to Revelation chapter 13, you will not be able to buy or sell. Anybody alive at this time when this is all going on, they're going to have to take this mark. Let me just say this to you as nicely as I can because I'm not poo-pooing anybody that feels they need to stockpile and build themselves a compound and get themselves lots of guns, and we'll be okay. The Bible says that everyone on the earth is going to have to make this decision. So it doesn't matter if you build yourself a hole in Utah. You're ultimately going to have to make this decision. The Bible says so. Without the mark, you'll not be able to buy or sell. And if you don't take the mark, according to Revelation 13, what happens to you? You'll be killed. You'll be killed because you don't take the mark. Oh, but the Bible says you live. Let me read you from Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." At the end of the tribulation period, anyone that's killed because they don't take the mark is going to come to life and reign with Jesus on the earth during that thousand years that he's on the earth. But if you take the mark, listen closely, you're damned. It's very, very important that you understand this. The Bible is very, very clear that if anybody takes that mark, it's too late. They're not going to be saved. They won't be forgiven. It's over for you. Listen to Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 through 11. And it can't get any more clear than this. Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11. Again, another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. By the way, is that pretty clear? If you receive the mark, you're going to be spending eternity in hell. Oh, and by the way, some false prophets in our day even some in this area, try to teach that hell, if it even exists, doesn't last forever. There are preachers in this area, not naming names, but I'm just telling you they're in our area, who teach that if hell exists, because they're not really sure it does, but if hell exists, it's not forever and ever, because a loving God would never do that. Therefore, they teach that if hell exists and you go there, you'll be there just for a period of time, according to your sins. And then you're extinguished and you don't exist anymore. What does the Bible teach over and over and over? That hell lasts forever and ever. And there is no rest for those who are in hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. We've already seen it over and over. Folks, listen to me. Hell is forever and ever. And don't let false prophets tell you it's not. Know what the Bible says now and believe in Jesus today so that you can escape these days. You say, Jim, most of us raised our hands. Why are you saying this? Because you're not the only ones listening. Thank God for the ministry of Chris and Thomas who are recording these messages. You'd be amazed how far around this globe. These messages on the study of Revelation are going. Word is spreading across the globe. And it will blow your mind the thousands of people all over the earth that are listening to these messages because people have said it and they're passing it on. And because of the technology we have, there are some people who may be listening in this room. And there may be people listening to the website or the CDs that are being passed around. <clears throat> know what the Bible says now and believe in Jesus today so that you can escape these days. But if you choose to reject God's offer of salvation, please know, listen closely, that believing in the truth in those days will be very, very hard. Now we've already read that the false prophets going to be able to perform great miraculous signs, even calling fire down from heaven. Remember when God had Moses take his staff and throw it on the ground and it became a snake? And then he was in the presence of of Pharaoh and he threw his rod down and it became a snake. What did Pharaoh's magicians do? They threw their rods down and they all became snakes. Yeah, Moses's snake ate their snakes. But at the same time, they were able to perform the same miracle. And the Bible actually says we won't have time to turn there. But if you look at Matthew 24, verses 15 through 25, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, Run for your lives. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Those are in Judea, get out. Don't even go back in your house to get a coat because from those days on, it's going to get so bad. Actually, it's never been as bad as it's going to be on the earth and never will be again. And Jesus said, if those days weren't cut short, no human being would even live on the earth. That's how bad it's going to be. And on top of that, There are going to be people that are false, who are going to be able to perform miraculous signs. Listen closely, that are even going to be possible to deceive the elect, if that were possible, he says. These people are going to be able to do such amazing things that it's going to be hard not to believe what they're teaching. Respond now while the Spirit of God's drawing you. And on top of that, go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's another reason you want to avoid those days. In Second Thessalonians chapter two, listen to verses one through twelve. Paul says, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day the Lord's already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed with whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We're going to keep reading in a second here. Let me just say real quick, stop getting sucked into all these speculations about who the Antichrist is. Stop getting sucked in when people say it might be Obama or maybe it's Trump or maybe it's, you know, this new leader in Greece and all this kind of stuff. There's all this junk going on on the Internet and speculations as to who the Antichrist is. The Bible says he won't be revealed until after the rapture of the church. He who restrains the Holy Spirit's influence through the salt and the light, the salt of the earth, the slower of the decay is going to be removed. He won't be revealed until after the church is gone. So why get sucked up into all that kind of stuff? It doesn't do any good. The Bible says you won't know until the church is gone. So if you know who the Antichrist is, not a good thing. But listen to what happens next. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen closely. There are Bible teachers that are not on my false prophet list, whom I respect and I respect their study I don't fully agree with them on this one top point, but there are men which I could name and you all would know their names. They are famous and they're famous for a good reason. They're Bible teachers and they're solid who believe that this passage is teaching that if you had a chance to be saved before the tribu- before the rapture, before the tribulation begins and you reject this offer of salvation, God sends you a strong delusion so you can't believe They take this one passage and teach that they believe that if you had the chance and you heard and you knew, but you rejected it, God makes it so that you can't believe. Listen closely. I don't believe that's what the Bible is teaching here. I am always leery of building a doctrine on one passage. You need to have a thing that's backed up by the rest of Scripture. But I can tell you this much. The Bible does say that for those who are alive at that time, it will be hard for them to believe because God is going to send a strong delusion especially for those who heard and rejected it. Does that mean that anybody that was saved or had a chance to be saved, Tim LaHaye's book's Left Behind series, he believes that they had opportunity to be saved afterwards. I lean in the the fact that that is too. But at the same time, there are people I respect who think this passage is saying that if you heard and did reject it and the church is then taken away, you won't be saved because God makes it so that you can't believe. All I can tell you is, Is it going to be easy to believe at that time? And if you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Jim, if your stuff you're teaching really is true, and this tribulation period actually does begin, and all this stuff on the earth starts to happen, like you're saying with the seals, and then this guy does step into the temple and all this stuff, I'll know then that what you said is right, and I'll put my faith in Jesus. I say to you, good luck. Because the Bible says it'll be really, really hard for you. Don't wait. Now, in the time that we have left... And it's very short. We're going to get to what you've all been waiting for the whole night. Deal with this mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? And actually, I can't wait to show you what God showed me. What is this 666? And what is the mark of the beast? Actually, in this passage in Revelation chapter 13, you'll see that it says this calls for wisdom. And the places in the scripture where I see this added little term, this calls for wisdom, I think it's pointing to the fact that it won't be revealed until that time. Because actually the Bible talks about a lot of things that for those of eyes to see and ears to hear. But to be really honest with you, I don't believe the Bible has shown us specifically what this mark is yet. What, whether it's a number or whatever it is. It's people are getting, well maybe it's a computer chip or maybe it's a tattoo and all this kind of stuff. I'm gonna say to you, don't get sucked into speculating as to what the mark of the beast actually is or how you get it. Because I don't believe it'll be fully understood until that moment, but there is something about it that I can show you tonight that I think will help you. Again, where is the mark? In your hand and your forehead. One of those two places. And if we're faithful to study the Scriptures and we allow the Spirit of God to bring to our mind the other passages that talk about this, all of a sudden you're going to see a bunch of stuff jump out. Let me read to you again from Revelation 13 what it says here about this. In Revelation 13, verse 16, The false prophet causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. Listen, this mark that is the name of the beast... Or the number of its name. Did you catch that? What is the mark? The Bible tells us what the mark is. It's the name of the beast. Whoever the Antichrist is, he's going to make everybody have his name on your hand or on your forehead. Or the number of his name. Whatever that means. So don't miss this. Whoever the Antichrist is at that time who's pretending to be Jesus is going to keep copying God all the way through. You know why? Because Jesus already made that promise to us, did he not? Go to me to Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 14. Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Jesus writing to the church in Philadelphia, which also, as you know, the promises pass on to us, because this is not only to Philadelphia, but hear what the Spirit says to the church as Plural. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, if you're mine, I'm going to write on you my name. By the way, the 144,000, where were they sealed? Do you remember when we did that study? They were sealed on their foreheads. Oh, let me show you one more thing. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel. Where did God tell them to put his word? Here and here. Satan is just copying God when he has everybody take a mark, which is his name on their wrists or their forehead. Jesus has already said, I want you to put my word here and here. And I'm going to put my name on you here. And you're going to be mine. So, folks, don't be all, what if I accidentally take the mark? You can't because it's going to be a decision. Have I got Jesus' name on me or have I got Satan's name? And for those of us who already raised their hands tonight and said, by God's grace, we're already saved. Guess what? (laughs) You already got his name on you. You've already been sealed by his spirit. You're his. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Go let that joy and that peace that comes from that knowledge spill out on some people around you as they freak out, as the days get worse. You can smile at them and say everything's right on schedule and God's still in control. I love you all. We'll see you next week.